Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. It is Wednesday, January 13th. It's an intense time. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling... Lots of depth, lots of grief, just lots of heaviness, which definitely doesn't mean stagnancy, (laughs) although it could, Um, but it doesn't for me. Grief feels extremely active, and I would say grief even sort of just extends to connection, connections to the past maybe more specifically for me. Just sort of feeling into deep ancestral shit. We had a pretty intense new moon yesterday. I am very grateful to be kind of circling back around to my spirituality, to the ritual practices that I used to do quite a bit and kind of took a step away from, in a formal way, I would say, underlying there is always sort of a spiritual groundwork and framework that applies to basically every aspect of my life. But in terms of really practicing, in terms of the physical manifestation of those beliefs or those feelings, I stopped for a little while, intentionally, because I wanted to make sure that the way that I was doing it was felt right. And I think the only way to know something feels right is to trust yourself. And I'm not so sure that I previously, a couple of years ago, had spent as much time as I really wanted to exploring this on like a personal soul level. And I knew it would come back. I didn't know when, I didn't know how. But I did know it would cycle back, and I'm certainly feeling it cycling back now, partially because I rather impulsively decided to enroll in a course um, with a woman named Mariana Rittenhouse uh, to learn how to do a tea ceremony. And to be honest, I really didn't know anything about tea at all. I'd never been to a tea ceremony. (laughs) But there was something about it that just felt really intuitively interesting to me and I felt really called to do it and so I did and I answered the mysterious call of tea (laughs) and I'm really grateful for that because I feel like it has been the tool that's brought me back into this 
just very like multi-dimensional space. And along with that has been sort of sharing those things with you or, or sharing these issues around belief, around spirituality, around ritual, a little bit more with all of you. And that was definitely a part of the break. Um, I feel like the break sort of started around the same time that I started the podcast. And uh, it's always been so, so important for me to walk the talk. And I take that maybe more seriously than anything else in my life. And that's really hard because we're subjective beings with projections, you know? We can make meaning wherever we want. We can put ourselves up and prop ourselves up as someone with some kind of, uh, or someone with spiritual knowledge. Um, but really we're just saying things that sound interesting, saying things that sound meaningful, but we don't get it. Which is not to say at all that I haven't gotten it. I, I definitely feel as if I've grasped a lot of it. Um, but even still, it just felt like there was no rush. There was no rush to bring this out in its fullness in myself, nor try to promote or share something with all of you. Just that I knew the timing, <laughs> the timing was going to unfold in the way that it wanted to. And uh, I think sort of T calling my name was a big part of that and uh, a big part of that sort of cosmic timing. And I'm grateful to be back because I think connecting to my ancestors, connecting to our ancestors, connecting to that which is bigger than us, in a, in a real intentional way, gives my life more meaning and more clarity when done clearly and properly um, than really anything else. And I definitely plan on talking more about my experience with tea. Um, planning on having Mariana on the podcast, but we both agreed we should wait until after I complete this program this month because that conversation would be richer um, given that I had had the experience. Um, but as I've said before, this podcast is really just an expression of me, a piece of me, and all of you are coming along for the journey, which means that if I'm cycling back into a place that feels sort of more spiritual, feels more focused on ritual, then y'all are going to experience that too. <laughs> um, as I'm, as I know you already have, we've, I've had uh, ja my friends Jasmine Kestrel and Eliza on the podcast to talk about astrology a few times. And I plan to keep bringing that back, back on. Um, I was so, so pleased and thrilled at how enthusiastic all of you were about the Astrology 101 workshop that I taught, um, which was now, I guess, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the response and um, interest in that really blew me away, and I felt really great about bringing astrology to all of you in that way. Uh, readings never really qu quite felt like my thing. Um, at least not in a formal sense, at least not in a, 
I knew it wasn't the thing I wanted to focus on the most, but helping you learn the tools, helping you you learn into how, how to, helping you learn how to feel into um, these archetypes and these energies and really create your own language about it, that feels super right. I don't, I don't want to have to go to anyone to have them translate my spirituality back to me or for them to translate meaning back to me, which is certainly not to say that outside input isn't valuable because it is. And it's something that I utilize, but if that's your only means of discerning meaning, then you're not really standing in your own power and your own agency to interpret and learn about these things on your own. And to be honest, I didn't think, I didn't think I was going to talk about this yet. Um, But I've really been stewing in sort of wanting to give more and wanting to teach more and wanting to share this information more. And after working in marketing and really self-promotion for basically all of my 20s, um, I really got sick of it and it really started to feel icky and uncomfortable and just nothing I wanted to participate in. Um, And although that makes it hard (laughs) to run a business now, you know, it's ironic because really like I know every single marketing technique and strategy that there is, like especially as it relates to digital marketing, creative marketing, because that's what I focused on. Um, And really, if I wanted to make like buttloads and buttloads of money, I, it wouldn't be hard. Like I know what the steps are in order to do that. Um, but it doesn't feel good anymore. And, uh, you know, I always used to think like, oh, thank goodness I'm learning all of these skills because one day I can have my own business and (laughs) I'll be able to promote myself. And I did do that for a while. I had a food blog and I, you know, was a freelance food photographer and it worked and it, I did it. Um, but it didn't end up feeling good in the end. And, you know, I don't even think, even if what I'm offering is really the sort of truest, most authentic version of me or what I want to share, my value, I I still have to, I feel like, bring it to all of you in a way that feels authentic. Um, So all of that to say, I've just really been trying to sit with myself, (laughs) sit with tea, And really just try to feel into like, what is the best way to continue to share this with all of you? Um, And I think that's going to be something that's going to continue to evolve. Certainly, it's not only having to do with astrology, although I think just because astrology was very much one, not one of my, the main entryways for me into finding meaning in my life. Um, I think that's why I feel kind of called and compelled to share that tool with you as well. And then who knows where it'll take you. Like maybe it'll take you to tea. Maybe it'll take you to human design. Maybe it'll take you to some sort of like kinesthetic practice. Um, So the details are still being worked out, but I think I'm going to offer, and it's going to be limited just to 17 people, because I really want this to be intimate and I want it to be useful and I want it to be very valuable to all of you. And um, at least for me, one of the ways that I really like to learn is sort of interactive and talking it through and 
reading books and discussing it with other people. You know, that's very much, I feel like how I've sort of constructed my Patreon is like my ideal learning environment that I'd like to share with all of you in case it happens to be your ideal learning environment as well. So in addition to everything I'm going to be offering and continuing to offer through Patreon, the WhatsApp groups, the book club, um, the workshops, which included the astrology workshop that I did, but also I'm going to be having people who've been guests on the show to teach workshops as well as um, fellow patrons. Um, so uh, one of our my patrons, Isabel, came and taught about seasonal foraging. We have someone else, Ian, that is going to... Uh, do a workshop on creativity and becoming more confident in our creativity. Um, so there's going to be still lots and lots of activity on Patreon, Patreon. But in addition to that, I also felt compelled to dive deeper, to offer more than I could offer on Patreon, to think about ways that I can share space with all of you, but also so that you can share space with each other. Um, I've been truly, truly blown away. And it just keeps getting more intense. But the extent to how the value of these WhatsApp groups that we've created, we have four of them so far. And it's just really powerful to see in real time and experience it alongside all of you, like how many of us feel so alienated and so alone in our beliefs and so lacking in community. And, you know, I think sometimes we think that we have to like move to a real rural place and like buy a bunch of land. I mean, obviously <laughs> I am doing that as well, but there are so many different ways that we can create community. We can do this in ways that utilize technology. Like we can use what we have right now, you know, don't, don't avoid finding a community because you think you have to like, you know, bite off way more than you can chew. This is, this really isn't that hard. Um, obviously the ideal is that we're all physically close to one another and truly living in a reciprocal way, but that's the ideal. Um, we don't have to forego all the other stuff that could come before that, that is also super meaningful because it's not the ideal. Um, so it's just been really powerful to, create this web with all of you to create such a large, safe web, an inclusive web for people who are like us, who for people who think like us, um, for people just to feel like they're welcome and that they belong, even if they're just a fucking weirdo, because <laughs> the rest of us are weirdos too. Um, so I want to evolve that. I want to keep that going. And I want to not just create you know, this intimate web of people that are connected to one another, but really help all of you learn from one another in other ways too. So, you know, taking part in the astrology apprenticeship that I took part in was meaningful, but what was even more meaningful was doing that alongside all the women that I did it with and, and taking into account their perspectives and listening to what they were learning and having that help me and what I was learning. Um, so I feel like I'm rambling on and on, but basically what I've decided, the first the first step into whatever this is that I'd like to cultivate is I think that it would be really fun to take a month or a couple months or a few months, depending on what the topic is, create a small container of people who are really passionately who are really passionate about participating in that thing. And we'll focus on something together. And the first thing that I feel called to create a container around 
is a lunar cycle. And so for the next lunar cycle that begins on February 11th, I'm going to be signing up 17 people to do something along the lines of a lunar cycle intensive. So what we're going to do is we're all going to take our birth charts and we're going to track the moon as it moves through our chart over the course of one lunar cycle. We're going to talk about what the lunar cycle means as far as its astrology. We're going to talk about what it means uh, specific to our charts. And then as that moon travels through every house and every sign and to every planet in our chart, we're going to really tune in to what the energy is. We're going to learn in real time from the energy that we experience and from the experience that we have together, from what you learn, from what other people say, from what other people are experiencing. So while some of it will be me teaching, while some of it will be me assigning things for all of you to read, but also this is going to be you learning about these archetypes in real time. So my guess and all these details will come out in a more formal way, I promise. Just felt like I wanted to share it now um, while it feels so sort of fresh and top of mind. Um, I believe we'll meet about six times. Um, we'll meet before the new moon just to sort of introduce everyone to each other, introduce the intensive overall and what we're going to be covering. We'll meet on the new moon to really talk about like what our intentions are, what we're feeling into with that new moon specific to, uh, where the new moon is occurring, just both in the sky on its own and relative to our charts. Um, and then throughout that month, we're just going to be thinking about it. So maybe you'll take a walk and you'll see an animal that reminds you of a specific archetype. Maybe at a specific point that the moon is touching a point in your chart, you hear a song that really illuminates that energy for you. So we're going to kind of record all of that. We're going to just be very, very present in our experience for that whole month. And then we'll meet up and we'll share with each other what we learned and we'll ask questions. So it's very workshoppy. It's it's much less really what the Astrology 101 workshop was, with which was me kind of talking at you. And this is going to be an interactive experience um, because I think really the only way to develop an authentic spirit, spiritual practice is to really embody these things, not just listen, not just read, not just learn, but like feel into it in a physical sense. Um that's really what gives spirituality and astrology so much meaning and depth for me because it's everywhere. It's, it's inside, it's outside. I mean, like <laughs> inside as in, in a house, outside as in, in nature, but also, you know, inside as in, I feel it inside of me, but I also see it being expressed outside of me. Um, so I'd really like to cultivate that and help all of you learn that. So um, if you want to keep track of that program, um, I would say following me on Instagram at Anya.Kats, K-A-A-T-S, uh, is one of the best ways to um, stay updated when I announce it officially. Uh, certainly, if you're a patron, pay attention to the Patreon feed. Um, we'll definitely be announcing it there. And also, I'm going to be giving anyone who's a patron already and who wants to participate in this, um, you're going to be getting a bit of a discount. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, or send me an email just so I know to reach out to you, uh, when I've officially launched all of the details, anyacots at 
gmail.com um, and you will be one of the first people to be considered for sure. Um, so I'm really excited about that and it's something I feel like I can do more than once. I mean, it's something that all of you can participate in more than once if you'd like, um, but certainly if this time doesn't feel right, then maybe next time will feel right. And um, yeah, I sort of just, I like the fact that we can kind of repeat it, but that it will never be the same. <laughs> you know, it's always going to be a different lunar cycle. We're always going to discover new things. So super excited about that. And I have some other ideas, both astrology and not astrology related for creating containers like this, um, as well in the future. So I would assume you're going to be hearing a lot about those over the next year. Um, along those lines, ish. Today's conversation is with uh, Shuli. I went to high school with Shuli and I really fucking liked her. She was super cool and I remember having such a good comfortable time with her. It's like one of those rare circumstances where you don't really know someone that well but it doesn't even matter just because your energies mesh together <laughs> so well and everything's super comfortable. That is really the the number one memory I have of spending time with Shuli and um, we lost touch for quite a bit of time. At least we lost real touch. You know, we follow each other on social media, um, but that isn't real life. Um, but she reached out to me occasionally because she listened to this podcast and we'd had some really meaningful exchanges. And at some point uh, over the summer, I remember thinking like I had an aha moment that I really needed to have her on the podcast um, because one, she's a super cool person, but two, because she's a cantor at a synagogue. And we are so disconnected, obviously, in so many ways from our ancestry and our heritage. And I feel, and I know so many of you feel very called to try to cultivate some sort of ancestral practice in your life, cultivate some sort of connection to anything that isn't the here and now, that isn't the civilized world. And um, very early on in the podcast, I had Kevin Garcia on, who I actually am going to have on the podcast again, but I feel like he really talked about um, how to relate to Christianity uh, as sort of a modern day millennial. But um, even though I was raised Jewish, I never really had the Jewish counterpart to that. And I know that all of us feel who were raised religious feel extremely sort of alienated by conventional religion. Um, and I certainly do too, but it is a very, uh, at least for me in my matrilineal line, um, a very potent connection to the past, a one way in which I can gain access to something that existed before me. So I felt really called to bring Shuli on because I knew that she'd be able to speak exactly to that experience. You know, how did she take something that was ancient, that maybe felt out of touch, and bring it into a modern-day millennial context that integrated tradition, but also our times and where we are now. So I feel very grateful to have her back in my life for purely selfish reasons, um, but also really grateful that I can share this with you, regardless of whether or not you're Jewish. Um, I think all of you will be able to relate to quite a bit of it you know, just trying to hold on to the past in some way because it's grounding, but also knowing that we have to reinvent it in order for it to move forward. Things have to evolve. 
They have to work in cycles. And as Shuli actually explains in Judaism, in Judaism at least, like it's actually so much, it's so related to cycles and the seasons and nature in ways that unfortunately I didn't really understand when I was a child. Um, but which now, of course, align so perfectly <laughs> into all of the other kinds of spiritual practices that I do. So I'm very excited to dive into this more. Um, I hope all of you find some value in it as well. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes, hit subscribe, leave some stars in a review. We haven't really had very many reviews lately. <laughs> um, and uh, the, I, it's very true that leaving reviews and stars on podcasts and iTunes really helps them show up more in search results. Um, and so for multiple reasons, one, because nobody knows how to spell millennial and also because um, when I reach out to more well-known guests, they're always going to go to iTunes to see if the podcast is legit or not. So all of that in the end really helps you guys <laughs> in me getting more interesting guests, um, but also reaching more people, which inevitably I hope um, is is ultimately beneficial to you, uh, either more so than me or equal to as beneficial as it, as it is for me, because we all need community and connections. Um so that's super helpful. Obviously, sharing episodes with your friends, posting about an episode that meant something to you on social media and tagging me. It's just, I really can't say enough how rewarding and meaningful it is for us to connect in whatever way that we can right now. Um, if you want to get involved in the community even more, Patreon is the place to do that. I'm still adding members to the fourth WhatsApp group, which... I just got to say, shout out to all of you guys in that group. You are so cool. And I'm so fucking honored that you listen to this podcast and that you want to participate in this project and in this community. It's so meaningful to watch all of you build each other up and help each other feel less alone. Um, so if you want to take part in that, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is where you can do that. We also have a book club. We're reading Cosmos and Psyche this month. The next book club will be announced in March. We have stickers and t-shirts and playlists. I'm about to upload a new patron-only playlist. That's my kind of like tea writing meditation playlist that I've been listening to nonstop and that I plan to keep adding to. Um, and there's probably about like eight other playlists on there now. Um, and workshops as well. If you sign up to be a patron, you can watch the replay of my astrology one-on-one -on -one workshop, which is actually going to be a requirement to, to watch if you want to take part in this lunar intensive program with me. Um, and yeah, all, all the previous workshops, all the previous book club discussions that we've done have all been recorded and posted. So if you're really looking to get engaged as much as possible, even if you join now, you can go back and really soak into everything that we've done thus far and then participate with us in all of the get-togethers and meeting, meeting, meetings and discussions moving forward. And hopefully, 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 one day in the not-too-distant future, we can meet in, meet in person. We can share space in person, fucking laugh and hug and do human shit and maybe I can serve you some tea. All that said, I'm going to play you into today's episode with a song called Opening by Jamie Sieber. It is one of the songs that's on my tea slash writing slash meditation playlist. Um, and yeah, this came on the other morning, drinking that first cup of tea, and 
I could barely drink the cup of tea because I was crying so hard <laughs> because uh, this song and so many others, music is such an, an instrumental way for me to connect and feel and receive and listen. So I wanted to share that with you, kind of put you in a mood of clarity and presence and peace and openness while you listen to this conversation. And I will catch you on the other side.
Okie dokie. I am here with my longtime friend, Shuli. We knew each other in high school and um, participated, I feel like, in lots of shenanigans in, in drama club, <laughs> um, which, was, which was my main memory. I forget, when did you, I feel like you were a year or two older than me. Um, I graduated in 2003. Okay. Yeah. So a few years older than me. I graduated in 2005, but that was a year early. So I don't know. I'm confused about how old I am. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. I graduated in, I was supposed to graduate in 2006, but I graduated in two, is that right? <laughs> I graduated a year early because I figured out that that was not that hard to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I took a year off. Anyway, all that to say, uh, Julie has reached out to me a few times because she listens to the podcast and she is a cantor at a synagogue in Maryland. And as I've mentioned off and on on the podcast several times, I was raised Jewish, but had a probably pretty common experience with being raised in organized religion, like didn't get it, didn't want to go to the classes, got a bat mitzvah, but basically it was just memorizing stuff. Um, but as I've gotten older, have really wanted to reconnect to that part of my heritage and ancestry. Um, and it was cool because I feel like you were always reaching out to me about both podcasts. Um, so clearly you were like super cool and progressive and had all these amazing ideas similar to mine, but also you were a cantor. So I wanted to have Shuli come on the podcast and sort of talk about Judaism uh in a more sort of like unconventional comprehensive way so thank you (laughs) um so why don't we start a little bit if you could tell everyone about um I guess a little bit about your journey that's something I'm definitely really curious about I know your dad was a rabbi um but I wonder (laughs) yes still is I wonder how um, that influenced you in your decision to become a cantor, but also just in your, you know, own identification as a Jew in general, um, and sort of hear about that trajectory from like, let's just pick off where we left off in high school. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, my journey, uh, definitely, uh, goes back to high school, back even further. Um, you know, I, I grew up with a rabbi as a dad and uh, so right away, I'm born into a certain kind of culture and environment that um, fostered, uh, you know, a sense of a sense of wonderment about life mm-hmm. and about uh, people in general. Um, my dad was always encouraging me to ask questions, not just about, you know, what it means to be Jewish, but what it means to be a human being. And um and so I always had a really close relationship with him and he, he was always very spiritual, um, not just because he's a rabbi, but because of his personality. And oftentimes growing up, uh, I have two brothers, an older mm-hmm. brother, and younger brother, but I was always the one going with him to Shabbat services on Friday night. It was mm-hmm. him and me walking together to the synagogue. Um, and so you know, that experience, even before entering the, the synagogue building, was a spiritual experience for me. Right. Because it, it was a time for us to bond and connect when the rest of our family was at home. 
right? We, it, the, the walk from our house to the synagogue was probably 10 minutes, but, you know, in that short amount of time, we had so many different conversations about, you know, what life is, what it means to be here, what it means to exist. And, um, you know, those memories stick out in my mind as, as a young girl walking to synagogue with my dad and then, you know, walking into the building and feeling a sense of warmth, feeling this feeling that I belonged, Hmm. right? Not, not just because I was a rabbi's daughter, but because that's where I felt most comfortable um, exploring what God is, right? I didn't even know what God was, but I knew that I was curious to find out, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and just just watching my dad lead and speak these words of of holiness and um, you know that was inspiring to me. And uh, there was always a student canter uh, when I was growing up. We had probably about four different student cantors, uh, who I always looked up to. And I've, and I, you know, singing was a part of who I, who I always was, even, right. Even, even before we're born, we have kind of a personality and, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I was, I was born singing as they say. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's, that's the beginning really of, of where this, desire to become a cantor came from yeah um I can should I continue or do you want to yeah yeah I'm curious before you I would definitely love you to continue but I I wonder you know it's interesting like I I'm did you ever feel like alienated or just sort of different from other kids in the sense that you were actually interested in this uh in a way that maybe others were not that's a really good question so I, I'll answer that by saying, without even showing an interest in this stuff, I I was labeled different simply because I was known as a rabbi's daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So people had these judgments about me and assumptions, um, and they very well might have been true, right? But but they you know they didn't allow me to explain where I was with all of it. Right. I, I didn't really um, get the chance to, to say, Oh no, you know, I'm not just because I'm a rabbi's daughter doesn't mean, you know, X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. but it, but it might, but I, you know, I always had a stigma growing up as being, you know, maybe like, prude or even though that was the complete opposite of who I am. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of a contradiction in that way. And I think that's probably why you wanted to have me on your podcast, because for so many people, when you hear, you know, the term rabbi or, you know, you, you think you, you know, you meet a Jewish person or someone who's very religious, you have these, you know, prejudgments and, and it's easy to, to kind of put a label on them and, and assume, oh, you know, they're this way. But, you know, speaking for my husband, who I work with, he's, he's the rabbi at our congregation. Um, we are both kind of, you know, contradictory examples of what it means to be a religious Jew. And, you know, that's not to say that I'm 
completely religious either, right? We can explore that down, you know, the road a little bit, but yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so did you, I, I mean, obviously it was clear that you had this sort of interest and in belonging, um, from an early age. Did you sort of always know you wanted to become a cantor or was that sort of like a windy journey where you went like back yeah. and forth and around and, oh, it was, <laughs> completely non-linear yeah. um, as life tends to be, right? Even if we try to make it linear, yeah. it'll throw walls. So um, yeah, topsy-turvy, up and down. Um, I grew up keeping kosher and keeping the Sabbath, keeping Shabbat. But when I got to high school, I, I have an older brother and he, he decided to go to public high school. I had gone, we my brothers and I both, all of us, um, grew up going to a, a Hebrew day school until eighth grade. Mm. Uh, and then my parents gave all of us the option uh, of going to, you know, continuing our private Jewish education or attending a public high school. My older brother decided to go to public high school. I saw the impact that it had on him, it, you know, in a positive way in terms of the diversity of, you know, students and um, activities and, and so forth. And I, I, no question I wanted to follow in his footsteps Mm -hmm. and I wanted to get a taste of the world that wasn't just Jewish because that's all I knew until eighth grade. Right. I, and it's not that I, you know, looking back now, I'm super appreciative of my education because, you know, look where it got me today. Yeah. It's, I, I, there's still so much to talk about in terms of my journey, but, um, yeah, so that kind of spurred going to a public high school kind of opened up my mind, opened up my world to, you know, the other people that exist other than Jews, right? Because again, I, like I said, up until that point, Jew city, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then high school and, and boom, you know, I'm, I'm in classes with black people, Asian people, right. All different colors and flavors. And I was loving it. Right. Yeah. I was, yes, this <laughs> makes sense. Now I can be myself. Right. And I'm unique. And I felt that, you know, getting to know, you know, the other kids in the classroom, like um, my name, first of all, that that's all I had to say to someone, right. right. Even, not even having to say my name when the teacher would call attendance, right? And they would get to my name, there would be a slowdown, and I would always anticipate, right, a hesitancy. And I would have to tell the teacher or the sub or whoever didn't know me at that point what might how to pronounce my name because it's a traditional Jewish name. So my nickname is Shuli, but my full name is Shulamit. Right. It's a very, you know, Israeli sounding name and not easy to pronounce. If you're looking at it on paper, no idea. Shalam it, shalam it. Right. (laughs) That's a conversation starter in and of itself. And I remember sitting in art class with Mrs. Hohenberger (laughs) and just sitting around the table with, you know, my friends and or soon to be my friends. And, you know, this is a, a super vivid memory that I have and sharing my name and and everyone was like, Oh my God, that's such a cool name. It's so unique. Like, and I, for the first time in my life, I felt special and I felt like 
not just because I'm another Jew, but because, because I'm a Jew, mm-hmm. right? I can, because I'm Jewish, I could share my story through my name and people are interested and they think it's cool. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it just made me feel amazing. Yeah. It's funny. I, I do feel like we went to a pretty like diverse high school in that respect. I think I had a lot of issue in middle school around the whole, like who was popular and who was cool and who wasn't. And maybe mm-hmm. that's just a, maybe that's just a result of getting older and people find their friends and care less about fitting into other friend groups. But yeah, I do feel like we had a super diverse, eclectic experience with everyone at our high school. And it's just funny too. It's like funny looking back. Like, I guess I knew you were Jewish and I was Jewish, but I don't really, I I didn't really think about it or have any questions or want to talk about it then or thought it was weird or whatever. So it's just funny to think about like, how personal and internal our own experiences are of what's going on and everyone else has their own (laughs) experience. Um, did you, so out of high school, what was that like? Did you at that point know what you wanted to do or what did you go to college for? Yeah, I, I knew through high school. So my parents you know, we're so relaxed about everything. Even though my dad's a rabbi, they didn't have a rule against dating non-Jews. So mm-hmm. my my first high school boyfriend wasn't Jewish. Yeah. And it, just to have that experience was, you know, just another stepping stone to figuring out who I was and figuring out what I wanted. And, and so I'm really appreciative that I had that opportunity and my parents, you know, trusted me enough to, to say, oh, you know, whoever you want to date, which is not a very common practice of Jewish parents, right? Yeah. Um, so that aside, you know, I, I went through high school. I, uh, you know, ate non-kosher food. I didn't keep Shabbat. You know, I would go to parties on Friday night and Saturday, whatever. And I really got to, you know, experience what it was like to kind of find myself in my own way. Right without having to rebel because I had that freedom. And so going from high school to college, I, it, it stayed with me and um, I, I still wanted to explore what, what life was like without having, you know, the Jewish umbrella over it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I lived my life as a pretty secular person, um, not really, keeping Shabbat, not keeping kosher still, you know, just living like a, I don't know what, to, I don't want to say normal person. <laughs> what is normal? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. At that point I felt, you know, I felt like I was part of the, you know, the status quo kind of thing. Right. And so, yeah, I, you know, having a grand old time in college and, and toward the end when, you know, graduation came, um, so I, I majored in women's studies, which is uh, relevant because if if you want to talk about you know religion and women's roles, I mean that's that's a huge part of why I wanted to become a cantor. Mm. Uh, first of all, I mean I'll just say this as an aside: it's a really important fact to know that women weren't allowed to become cantors for the longest time or rabbis for that matter, right? It was very exclusionary. And, um, you know, really recently, 
I mean, even even today, women are still struggling to to find their voices. Um, but yeah, I so I majored in women's studies, and I I was always passionate about uh, you know feminist issues and um, and all of that. And toward the end of college, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go, what my next move was going to be. And I almost minored in music, but I didn't have enough credits. And so, um, but I basically did, right? So (laughs) were were my things. And, and so I was, you know, kind of looking at my life thus far. And I, I, I said to myself, I guess my next step is to apply to cantorial school. It just made sense. Right. And, um, I had a singing group in college with two of my friends. It was basically an acapella group. And, um, I was starting to teach them some Hebrew songs and I, I slowly started to feel that Jewish spirit come back to me mm-hmm. and, and that desire to, to kind of explore my spirituality again yeah. through a Jewish lens, because I was feeling it was resonating with me. The music was coming back, right. The, the good feelings. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the bad feelings. <laughs> Prior to that, <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm sure they're pretty universal. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious whether or not your sort of familial connection to it changed it at all. But I, I remember having several experiences growing up and this is something I've talked about on the podcast quite a bit, which was like, there were certain parts of Judaism I resonated with, you know, and, and particularly just even the spiritual component of it. Like, like you, I didn't really know what God was or what everyone was really talking about. Um, but the rabbi at our temple, and this must've been like, I must've been a teenager by this point. And he had just spoken about how he and his wife had had twins or triplets or something. And it was in the sermon he was giving and, he said that like the, the, the babies and his wife almost died. And it was this really heart wrenching story. And he said that the only thing that he could possibly do in that moment of crisis was pray. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, okay. Like that makes sense. If I ever find myself in a situation like that, I want to be able to have connection to something, you know, (laughs) even if that's not like, please make this better. Like, what would I do in a crisis? And that sort of spiritual connection was meaningful. Um, yeah. So I feel like that was mostly my good feeling, at least as I got older. And as much as I hated going to Hebrew school and doing all of that, once I got my bat mitzvah, I decided to keep going, ironically, and like go through confirmation. And our group went to Washington, D.C. And I was like... Um, we spoke to like the office of Hillary Clinton to like fight for gay marriage. It was like this whole sort of more comprehensive experience, you know, but mm-hmm. all that said, I think where I often felt alienated or just disliking of it was the sort of rigidity of what I felt like I had to believe in, in order to participate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Um, I also <laughs> like you, reject rigidity that's a good uh (laughs) Um, reject rigidity (laughs) you know ask my husband ask you know the women in my adult bat mitzvah class that's the part of judaism i i'm not really into either and you know anyone who knows me knows that about me yeah um because 
first of all, going back to that word, exclusionary, right? It's not inclusive, right? All of the Jewish laws, or at least most of them, I should say, there there is a process uh, where you can kind of not fix something, but um, kind of edit it. There's a whole like rabbinical process mm. that you can go through uh, with Jewish law um, to kind of bring other issues to light and uh, make it more relevant to modern times. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, the, the ancient texts that we have uh, not only exclude women's experiences, but put them in, in different categories to the point where clearly we are not considered an equal. Yeah. Right. And, you know, to this day, I, I, I fight all, all of that stuff. And it, yeah. it, it definitely uh, makes me angry to, to a large extent because we still have to fight for, um, you know, our stories to be included and our, our narratives to, to be relevant um, because for so long they, they weren't included in, you know, all of the literature. I mean, here and there, there are stories, right? We hear about, you know, our matriarchs, right? Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And um, uh, maybe a little later, I'm, I'm going to share something about another uh, feminine biblical character named Judith, who's related to Hanukkah. So um, maybe we'll see that for later. Yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's it's not easy to to embrace everything. In fact, it's, it's really, really difficult sometimes to, to feel okay. Um, standing up on the Bima, uh, you know, in, in the synagogue, sometimes I'll stand up there leading a service and I, and I won't feel connected to the words. Mm -hmm. And I'm just being honest here um, because that's the most authentic place I can come from. And I, I want people to know that it's okay to struggle with um, whatever faith you have. In fact, it's encouraged in Judaism. Uh, like I said before, my dad always encouraged me to ask questions. And Judaism at its core wants, uh, you know, the, the community wants people to be curious and to, to question and to, um, you know, continue to explore and, and figure out what, what meaning lies within for, mm -hmm. for yourself, because it's not going to look the same for everybody, even in Judaism, right? There's so many different colors and flavors and that kind of gets us into denominations. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Which I'd love to talk about. And, and I also wanted to ask whether, you know, this is sort of the feeling that I have about religion in general, although mm -hmm. I can't necessarily say this is factual. It's just my feeling, but that so much of what we dislike about religion or don't relate to about religion is not necessarily the religion, but the ways that we've interpreted whatever the traditions are and the texts and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's a big part of it. Definitely. And, and the people who, who were interpreting and who were, Right. create meaning, meaning out of whatever was left from previous generations were met mostly men. Right. Yeah. And so wh where, where are we as women going to find stories about menstruation, right. Or, you know, 
any kind of women's experience. Right. Which is so bizarre, too, because isn't it like you are considered technically Jewish if your mother is Jewish? Like, there's just so many contradictions around. Like, and maybe that's just because my I have this I have this very sort of feminine relationship to Judaism. And maybe that's just because my mom was the the Jewish one in our family. Um, but, yeah, I feel I feel that connection even in a sort of superficial way. Um, so I'm curious, yeah. sorry to, yeah. I'm really curious what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, I guess like when I think about my lineage and my matriarchal line, mm-hmm. you know, and this, and this gets into the sort of cultural aspect of Judaism on top of the religious piece, right? Like I feel like I grew up in such a, Jewish household, but not necessarily like, so the story with me is that my grandmother, um, her, so my great grandmother, they came here from Russia. And I think my grand, my aunt, my great aunt. So my grandmother's Mm -hmm. sister was actually conceived in Russia and born in the U S and then my grandmother was born here. Um, and I don't know the extent of their, what they did in terms of their Judaism. But I know that my mom wasn't really raised in any sort of a religious household. There was the cultural piece though. Right. So like the foods and the, just like, even I feel like the, Oh, my grandmother spoke fluent Yiddish. Like that was the other thing. So there was a lot of like cultural stuff that was still very present. And my mother was not really raised Jewish in a religious sense at all. It was sort of ancillary to her experience. And so she decided she wanted to raise her kids as Jewish. So we were mm-hmm. sent to temple. We had bar mitzvah and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I think I'm, you know, of course at the time I was like, this is stupid. Um, but now looking back, I'm grateful for it. Uh, yeah. But having said all of that, like, I just, I think of, when I think about my mom and I think about my grandmother, like they're so mm-hmm. freaking Jewish. Like, I don't really know how to explain that, but it's just like, you know, well, that, when you culturally Jewish, like to me, that's Jewish. Like it's not, it's not separate from the religion. And Mm -hmm. just because, so, um, I just, I want to clear something up because, you know, religious and, and observing a religion in Judaism to me are two different things. Mm. And often there they coincide, right? Oftentimes you'll see a religious Jew who is, who also observes, the laws and the, you know, customs and rituals and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, there are all, since there are so many denominations of Judaism, right? Like reform, reconstructionist, uh, renewal, conservative, orthodox, right? There, I just listed five different forms of Judaism. And, and so you could have a religious Jew, who's a reformed Jew, but they consider themselves religious because they, they're real. I mean, they really live a Jewish life according to how, you know, their Judaism. Right. right? Or you could, you could have an example of a, an Orthodox Jew who clearly observes the laws and customs and that, you know, and all different flavors in between. And so, you know, if you're a cultural Jew, so to speak, Beautiful, right? I mean, to me, however you express your Judaism, you're Jewish. Right. <laughs> you know, 
And, and like you chose to talk to me, I'm giving my answer. Other people will have different answers, but you know, you mentioned the matrilineal Judaism uh, notion, right? Where according to most Jews, and if you go to Israel and you, you get married, right? You have to be a Jew from your mom's side um, because most of the Jewish world if you're a patrilineal Jew, right? If your dad, if your dad was just Jewish, but not your mom, then you're not really considered Jewish, right? Which is a really unfortunate thing. Like that, that's, a part, that's one of the parts of uh, Judaism that doesn't really sit well and does not feel good, right? To me or to you or to a lot of people who have an open mind, right? If you come to me and you say, oh, you know, my dad's Jewish, you're Jewish, that's 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 my answer. Um, but un- like I said, unfortunately, not everyone will uh, accept you as as being Jewish. And yeah, there are a lot of uncomfortable things about religion in general. Judaism is no exception. Um, so yeah, we there yeah. So let's talk about the denominations a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in a reformed temple. So that's really all that I knew. Um, and, clear, yeah. and obviously like I'm familiar with what Orthodox Judaism is, but I'm less familiar with the other ones. Um, so I'm sure like going through all the details about all of them would be really exhaustive and annoying. Um, but maybe just like some highlights about maybe what denomination you were raised in and what denomination your synagogue is now and sort of like whether or sure. not that resonates with you more than something else or whatever yeah. you want to say. <laughs> no, great, great question. So I was uh, born and raised in a um, conservative movement. They're called movements. So, um, you know, the conservative movement really quickly uh, follows all of the Jewish customs and laws and observances and rituals. And it's also egalitarian. And so, you know, no differences between genders. Everyone can participate fully no matter what. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, we get to reform, right, which you were raised in, which gets a little more liberal, right? Uh, and reform Jews don't have to keep kosher or keep Shabbat, um, and they have uh, way more relaxed kind of approaches to Judaism. They can use, uh, they use musical instruments on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, whereas conservative Jews uh, don't, although things are changing now. So, you know, you might walk into a conservative synagogue and they might be using instruments um, because, like I mentioned before, there was what's called a tshuva or um, literally an answer in Hebrew uh, to this uh, Jewish law question of can we play instruments on Shabbat? And so, you know, these days it's not so easy to, to kind of identify, oh, is this a conservative synagogue? Is this a reform one? Is this right? So um, just have to mention that. And uh, yeah, so the, so reform is pretty liberal. Reconstructionist Judaism uh, came out of uh, Rabbi Michael Kaplan, and his theology, uh, which is basically quickly in a nutshell, that we as modern Jews can sort of reconstruct our relationship with God mm-hmm. um, and reconstruct 
uh, our texts, our prayer books, um, to the point where we feel like it's relevant and um, kind of reflects our values as modern uh, Jews in a secular world and beyond. And I, um, I think I identify a lot with that theology, but I, um, I don't consider myself any, uh, identified with any denomination per se. Um, I started my cantorial studies at JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary in Manhattan, which uh, is affiliated with the conservative movement. But I transferred uh, toward the beginning of my studies to the Academy for Jewish Religion, also in New York, uh, which is considered a pluralistic uh, rabbinical and cantorial school. And so I guess I would say I'm a pluralistic Jew, which which basically means that I I don't identify with one specific denomination and I learn and grow and uh, take from all branches uh, that which I uh, align with and, um, and, and inspired by. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk about that. Uh, both two different things. One, I know we chatted yesterday. You said that you sort of lo- like to not only sort of incorporate a pluralistic view of Judaism, but also incorporate spiritual practices from other religions. So I'm curious what some of those are and what resonate to you. But before that, I'd love to know maybe like, what are some, tenets of Judaism that really resonate to you um, and sort of inform your own spiritual practice. Um, I feel like that's, I mean, I know that I learned about some of those growing up, but I feel like I wish I had a more sort of comprehensive understanding of what some of those tenets were. And in a way that's like, you know, again, less traditional here are the words this is what we're doing but more of this kind of broadened comprehensive like how does this relate to now kind of a thing you know Um, yeah Yeah, so I want to um go back because uh the one of the other denominations that I didn't mention is renewal Judaism Mm. which uh connects perfectly to uh where we want to go right now Mm -hmm. uh because renewal Judaism is kind of that new agey, hippie, you know, crunchy kind of Judaism. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that uh, movement uh, encompasses the more spiritually minded practices that, um, that kind of inform my, not kind of, that definitely inform my, you know, what my Judaism looks like. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, for example, meditation, chanting, um, you know, exploring the relationship that Judaism has to nature, you know, all of those kinds of, uh, spiritually based practices Mm -hmm. that, um, some of the other movements are lacking in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so along those lines, um, you know, in college, I took a, a course in uh, Asian literature and I started to explore Buddhism and, you know, Taoism and, you know, Zen rituals and things like that. Um, and so, you know, that kind of was the, the seed that helped helped me kind of, uh, you know, grow my my curiosity in terms of what spirit spirituality can really look like 
um, not just from a Jewish lens. Uh, and so I think that's, that's definitely part of how I was able to shape my approach to Judaism. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that felt, um, authentic to me. Yeah. Um, Um, so in terms of the, 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 the traditional pieces of Judaism that also resonate for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Music. I'm a cancer. You know, that is the biggest pull for me. Uh, music and food, I should say, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, music and food, there they're are two amazing ways to connect ourselves to whatever culture you come from or ancestry you come from, right? We, music is a universal language, so is food, right? So um, I, I love being able to connect to these ancient melodies and bring them to life for people in my congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. And, and so sometimes it doesn't even matter what the words are, but, but the music is, you know, it, it speaks for itself. And, um, you know, as a cantor, I was trained in sacred Jewish music. And what that means is um, I learned with, you know, teachers, I I had coaches, I would have one-on-one lessons with these amazing cantors that have been around for, you know, so long that they, they just know, you know, they know everything. And so, you know, I was really um, exposed to the art of what's called Kazanut, which is uh, the art of basically chanting or um, leading prayer in in the in the way that a cantor would, mm-hmm. not not you know just a, a Jew a Jew in the pew we like to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you know I I I wanted to uh, get that training because I knew that I. I had a voice. I wanted to use it in a meaningful way. Um, and I knew as a woman, I would feel empowered and I hoped to empower others through the music to feel connected to their Judaism. Um, so that's not really a tenet of Judaism. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is, it is important. I mean, I also think, and I feel like this is the moment at which I was like, you should be on my podcast. Cause you reached out to me because I'd played Cole Nidre at the end of, um, uh, my podcast with a uh, death doula. Um, right. and I feel like, yeah, aside from that situation I mentioned about just like the spiritual component of having something to believe in that service in particular, I would say in large part, at least at the time, because again, like my comprehensive understanding of what was being spoken about was probably lacking, but my connection to the music was just like, Oh shit. Also to be fair, I, as I got older was in the choir at my temple with, along with my mom. Um, so that was definitely a, an important connection for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I want you to sing now. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> And yeah. maybe later as well, but I feel like we're talking about it. So maybe we could say a couple of different things. Um, I know you, yeah, I, 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 we spoke yesterday and I said, I wanted you to sort of like lead the charge on this of something that was meaningful to you. Um, yeah. 
so I, before I sing something, I just want to mention that um, feeling connected in Judaism is not an easy thing. If you didn't grow up learning, you know, doing intense learning on in on language, the right, the what's in the prayer book, there's a lot. There, I mean, it's a, a vast amount of stuff yeah. to kind of enwrap yourself in. And it, it takes a lifetime to kind of figure out what, you know, what, what does Judaism mean to me, right? I'm still figuring that out. And so music definitely helps me do that. And um, so I'm just going to sing a quick little part of a, what's called a liturgical poem, which is basically a prayer poem that is chanted or sung or recited. And this particular one uh, is is sung uh, in the uh, Shabbat morning service, and it's it basically talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, right? The celestial beings, and how how amazing they are, and how mysterious, and and how you know we. We can look to them for strength, for guidance, for support, and and you know we're we're this, these small beings, but we're also part of this vast universe, which includes the sun and the moon and the stars, and and we can acknowledge what what they give to us, what they offer us, right? Mm-hmm. So you know all of that is there. It's in Judaism, right? Yeah. Nature is met talked about over and over again in so many different prayers. And so that's another uh, segue, you know, connecting point uh, for someone to have in Judaism, at at least for me, it's, it's helpful. So El Adon is um, the name of the poem. And I'm just going to sing a little bit of a, a melody that I composed for it based on the traditional musical mode that it's supposed to be uh, res- uh, sung in. So here we go. El Adon HaKolamasim Baruch Mvorach Befikol Neshama Golo Betuvo Male Olam Ah, so good. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. It's like, I love how I said fuck after you saying that. That was like, yeah. so on you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard not to. I mean, it's, you know, speaking about the, these connections and the ancestral piece, it is, it is interesting to think about, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but these sort of like out of body more or even embodied connections to something, you know, like hearing the music 
is mm-hmm. so familiar. And yes, I heard it growing up and all of that, but there's just like a piece of it that I don't know, maybe maybe it just it the historical nature of it <laughs> feels grounding, you know. Everything that you're saying makes sense to me. Yeah. Every, every aspect of how you reacted to that makes sense because the mode, the musical mode that I was singing in is ancient. Right. Right. And so even though you, you've never heard my version of this, you've heard that music yeah. elsewhere in different forms. And that's, I mean, that's just so beautiful to me that, that Judaism has this tr- tr- musical tradition, you know, and, and Jewish music is a whole other conversation in and of itself because it, it's comprised of, you know, all the different cultures where Jews settled you know, for thousands of years. And so that, you know, that's why it sounds, it can sound like that. It can sound like happy, right? I can sing, I could sing something else for you right now and very contrasting. Yeah, let's do in it. A very <laughs> mode. So like, for example, at a, at a wedding, right? Um, when, when you're under the chuppah, when the, you know, the, the couple, I don't want to say bride and groom because, a Jewish wedding can be a groom and groom or a bride and bride, right? That's so um, according to the Judaism that I practice <laughs> anyway, um, I want to practice. Yeah. So yeah. So under the, under the chuppah, under the wedding canopy, the, the officiant, whether it's a rabbi or, or a cantor or whoever uh, it's traditional to sing what's called Sheva Brachot or seven blessings to the couple. And it's supposed to sound very happy, right? Because it's a happy moment. And so there's a a certain musical mode that's used to convey that. And so here's a little excerpt from the Sheva Brachot, the seven blessings. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, borei priyakafen. Sos tasis v'tagel ha'atara, v'kibbutz baneha, betocha besimcha. Baruch atah Adonai, mesameach chatan v'kala. Right, so that sounds happy, right? It's very yeah. joyous, very... Yeah. 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 And I think even like the thing I could still recite and sing so many of those prayers, you know, that I grew up learning, uh, regardless Mm -hmm. of whether or not I remember what they're about at this point, you know, like that's, that's something that definitely stays with you. Um, thank you Mm -hmm. for singing. That was wonderful. Um, so switching gears a little bit, I would love to talk about history um obviously I speak about ancestral trauma on my podcast quite a bit um and I'm curious about your thoughts you know we we focus so much on the holocaust I think as Jews and I my growing up my mother like that was one of her biggest motivations in teaching us all of this stuff and sending us to to temple was um I think really as, as her own reaction to like, let's keep this going, let's keep these traditions alive. Um, but obviously Jewish history is like far broader <laughs> than the Holocaust. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about recently uh, like Jewish, like what is the collective Jewish trauma? <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I wonder if you've thought about that. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. I think 
you know, we, in this day and age, like we're very, this sort of came, I think a lot prior, the sort of like Jewish rights are, you know, have making sure that we were treated equally and that there wasn't this prejudice and not to say that there isn't still, but it is, you know, much more focused nowadays on like gay rights or, you know, African-American rights or all these other things. So, um, I, w- I want to bring more of that sort of Jewish historical trauma into focus because I think for one, it's probably all of these, all of our trauma is not that different, right? Regardless of our skin color and our our religion and all of this, it's like we're treated poorly for whatever reason, not given equal rights, and then have to sort of go on and figure that out. Um, but yeah, like what what do you think that is? Like, what do you sort of see as some of the tenets of our collective trauma as Jewish people? (laughs) Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, we can't ignore the Holocaust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned it and, and yeah, our history is, is certainly, uh, way more encompassing than that, but it wasn't that long ago. (laughs) And, um, you know, just like your mom, I have a similar goal in making sure these traditions do stay alive. Right. And, and, um, that, that is another reason why I wanted to become a cantor was, to, you know, I think back to the camps and I think back to the people, you know, in those barracks and, you know, we're, in, we're, we're, we're celebrating Hanukkah right now. The, the holiday is still going on. And recently I saw a picture of a menorah and, you know, a black and white photo of a menorah in a window and a Nazi flag across the street. Um, and it just, you know, gives me chills to see that. And um, yeah, I think back to the, you know, the people in, in those barracks and they're whispering the prayers to each other, but they're still singing them, you know? And so if, you know, if we don't keep singing those songs, those prayers there, they will get lost. Just like if we don't keep, you know, cooking the old world recipes, all, you know, old world Jewish recipes or any kind of cultural recipes that we have, they'll be lost. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, you know, as Jews, we've, we've suffered so many oppressive, uh, events in our, in our history, um, too many to count, honestly. And, um, you know, there, there's a, a famous saying, they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, there was the Yom War. There was the, you know, the Maccabees fought for religious freedom. That's what Hanukkah is all about. They won. You know, I mean, there are so many prevailing stories in, in our Jewish history. Um, and, yeah, we, we have suffered traumatic uh, ripples from those events. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get emotional thinking about it because as, as a cantor, right, I live my life based on the Jewish calendar and I'm reminded of these events throughout the year, right? We have days 
dedicated to remembering these tragic events, right? We have what's called Yom HaShoah or Holocaust Remembrance Day. We have Yom HaZikaron or, uh, you know, Jewish Remembrance Day to remember fallen soldiers. We have, you know, fast days uh, to commemorate, you know, the destruction of, of the temple in Jerusalem. You know, so we are constantly being reminded of our uh, past and, you know, the, the darkness that we've uh, experienced and the pain and the loss. Um, but we're also reminded throughout the year of, of the joys and the, the beauty and the, um, the hope that, that we can feel through uh, the Jewish year as well, right? We have holidays like Hanukkah that help us to, to remember um, you know, who we are at our core. I don't, I feel like I'm rambling now. And no, no. I'm interested in you. I know you spent time in Israel and I've, I've not been, um, but I'm wondering like that must be such a much more, I don't know. A lot of these themes must be a lot more on the surface and potent there. Um, and I'm interested to hear how spending time there affected you overall, like as a Jewish woman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So Israel is a really special place, not just for Jews, right? For Muslims, for Christians, um, anyone who, who, uh, is spiritually minded and spiritually aware will feel its, um, power and its, uh, holiness. And certainly as a Jewish woman, I, I feel a connection to the land, uh, especially because I spent time there. I lived there, uh, not consecutively for two years, but for a year and then came back to the States and then went back, uh, uh, for a year. And, um, you know, I, I went when I was young with my family, you know, a number of times I have family who, who live there. I have cousins. So there, I have a lot of connections to the land. Uh, but, but I also have, um, you know, a kind of complicated relationship with Israel because of all sorts of reasons, uh, many you can probably understand. Uh, so especially as a woman, uh, because, you know, expressing your, your Judaism in Israel is a very different experience than expressing and practicing your Judaism in, in America. Um, and, you know, we can get into a whole other conversation about that. But what I will say is that um, it is a very special place and you kind of, you can't really describe it fully to someone who hasn't been there. You kind of have to just go for yourself uh, to, to really experience its beauty and its um, holiness. And uh, yeah. Do you, do you feel like, sort of connected to um, the struggle that's going on there and not necessarily just there, but like even in incorporating that into like your own American life, like we have all these different mixing of cultures and like how to attain this like sort of open equal um, idea of what a culture is. And like, I'm just curious about that sort of mixing of religion. And obviously that's something you're into in your own practice and conceptually as well, obviously. Um, 
but I, yeah, like how does that figure, how does what goes on, how, how does what has been going on in Israel for so long affect your own framework for what you'd like to see happen, you know, in Israel, but just in Judaism overall? Yeah. Israel's a good example of, um, you know, what's happening in an extreme way in religion, in, right? So um, there's this group called Women of the Wall, uh, which is um, an activist group in, in Jerusalem, and they fight for women's rights at the Western Wall to be able to have their own prayer services on the women's side, right? Mm-hmm. At the Western Wall, the, right, the it's divided into two sections, right, for men and for women. And so it has become so toxic in Jerusalem, the, you know, the religious um, environment there that it's just so heartbreaking. You know, when, when women, when these women gather for their prayer service, and mind you, it's only once a month on the new moon for, because Judaism goes by the lunar calendar, right? And so, when there's a new moon, that means there's a new month that we're celebrating in the Jewish calendar. And so, and um, it's called Rosh Chodesh. Uh, and um, historically, Rosh Chodesh has been a women's holiday. And, and so these women gather with a Torah scroll and they, they um, you know, do their prayer service. And they've, they've been attacked while they're praying at the Western Wall, from the other side by men, they th- throwing rocks, yelling at them, cursing at them. I mean, and then women have been arrested because there are mandates against uh, the practice of women at the Western Wall because, uh, you know, the, the rabbis who are in control are in the government, right? And so it's it's just, it's so terrible. Um, uh, and, and so that's only, you know, like a, a tiny part of the answer, right? But, but just to talk about that in and of itself is enough to kind of, um, you know, frame how I live my Judaism here, um, you know, with an awareness of what's going on there and what, what we don't want to happen, right? What we want to change, what we are trying to fight for. Right. Because, you know, we see that here, you know, in this country, not to the same degree, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I think part of my questioning around that collective trauma is I feel like we see it less here in America, but probably more so in, in Israel, but this, just the, you know, like what happens, and this isn't relative to Jews by any stretch of the imagination, but like all people at one time or another were treated poorly, treated unfairly, not given the right to exist. And like how those events translate into daily life or daily practices, you know, like just there's so much animosity and so much hatred and so much. To me, it's just like, y'all need to process your trauma, then, you know, (laughs) we'll be good. Um, Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a big part of why I wanted to um, offer an adult bat mitzvah class. Hmm. First of all, because, you know, historically women, you know, girls weren't allowed 
to become a bat mitzvah. That's actually how it's phrased. You don't get a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah. You become mm. a bar bat mitzvah, which literally means son or daughter of the commandments. Or so, um, it's it's a rite of passage. Yeah. Right. Which which girls uh, weren't allowed to experience, and so you know you have this whole generation of older women who have no idea how they feel about their own Judaism because they were never given the opportunity to kind of explore it. Um, and I, and I, that's a big part of, of the trauma that, um, you know, certainly women have faced, uh, as being Jewish, right. They, they just weren't allowed. And, and so where do you go from there? Right. You have to kind of start at that point of saying, acknowledging that, right? And saying, okay, how do you feel about that, first of all? Yeah. Right? You can't, you can't really move any, any further before, before acknowledging, you know, how that sits with them. Because for their whole lives, they were taught a certain, you know, tale about what it means to live a Jewish life. And now, you know, now all of a sudden these women are in my class and I'm telling them, you know, you can, you know, you can question what God is. No, you, that's okay to, to get angry with God or to, to not feel like, um, you don't want, you're not connecting with the, you know, what's in the prayer book or you're, you know, don't feel like it's, it's, uh, an issue with your, with you because it's not, it's, it's a product or a result of the conditioning and the the lack of education and lack of exploration that you experienced as as a young girl, as a young adult, and through your you know your adult years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which brings me to the notion of sexuality within this context. Um, I feel like that's. Not only is there the woman thing, but I, th- I mean, in every religion, religion and sex is just like, I know at one point, you know, sex was a spiritual experience, but in this sort of like Judeo-Christian paradigm that we live in, those two things got pushed very far away from one another. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that sexuality was one of the things that we connected on in high school it was always something that I, I don't know, felt honestly like an outlier about, um, because I felt very comfortable and fine and loved talking about it and was met sometimes with some skepticism or discomforts. Um, and you were not one of those people. You were very open like I was. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in how you've incorporated, you know, your own sexual experience, but just sexuality in general. Like how, how can that fit into a sort of, um, how can that fit into Judaism in a way? How does it? And maybe it's just something we've misunderstood. Like, are there, are there parts of traditional, any parts of sort of like traditional Judaism that speak to this or ways in which you've reinterpreted texts um, to incorporate sexual experience and expression? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of sex in Judaism if you know where to look, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm curious. For example, if you study the Jewish mystical text known as the Zohar, it is all about sex, basically. I mean, and, you know, there there are, um, you know, warnings that 
we're told to follow before kind of diving into that uh, sacred text. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this one, like you have to be 40 years old, right? You have to have certain experiences under your belt before you kind of study this stuff, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense to me because, you know, when you're 13, yeah, you might be interested in sex and curious about it, but you have, hopefully you haven't had that many, right, sexual experiences at that point in your life. Um, so there's some wisdom to, to that, but, um, yeah, there's that example. There's, uh, the fact that Judaism, uh, views, uh, intercourse, right. Um, making love as, as a mitzvah, as something that we're commanded to do, albeit in a, you know, a certain context. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but if it's an, if it's a beautiful, authentic kind of expression of love, again, you're asking me, Judaism, uh, would say wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. There are obviously parameters and, you know, Jewish, Jewish law around regulating sexuality. Um, but you know, we're getting into that, you know, the rigid, rejecting the rigidity of it. Right. So, you know, there are women, uh, you know, observant religious women who go to what's called a mikvah, right. Or a, a ritual bath, uh, every month, uh, to kind of, uh, ritualistically cleanse themselves after their period before they can engage in uh, sexual activity with their, with their husband. Um, I, I don't do that. <laughs> um, but that's not to say that it wouldn't be a meaningful experience to right. some degree, but it all depends on how it's framed. Right. For and sure. so <laughs> it all depends on how you're looking at it. It all depends on, uh, yeah, what you want to take from it. And, um, so another example in my adult bar mitzvah class, we talk about Lilith. Have you heard of Lilith? Yes. Not only have I heard of Lilith, <laughs> but I'm kind of obsessed with Lilith. Um, Why? I'm surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I feel like part of my like goal here on earth is to kind of reimagine that myth a bit. I'm not really, yeah. I don't know. I don't really <laughs> subscribe to either side, either the like, Lilith yeah. as the devil evil woman or as the sort of like empowered I hate man woman. I mm-hmm. feel like there's a, a, of course, me like nuanced perspective. But anyway, yeah. yes, love Lilith. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the students in my class had never heard of her. Yeah. Can you talk about her? I'd love, because I'm sure even though I've spoken about it before, some people haven't heard and I'd love to hear your, your take. <laughs> yeah. Well, so um, she what uh was considered adam's first wife before eve yeah. right so uh there's the story about her that um you know adam and lilith were created equally from from the earth right and um at one point they were about to have sex and uh adam gets on top and lilith is like what are you doing no way I want to get on top. We're equal. Like, give me a break here, right? <laughs> Obviously, not uh, quoting it directly. Yeah. Uh, but 
So she gets picked off, right? And she's like, fuck you, I'm leaving. Goodbye. And so she abandons him. And then God kind of sides with Adam and creates Eve after that uh, from from Adam's rib, right? Um, and so, you know, that's a very and there we lie. have the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, yeah, and that's the basis for so many of women's yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I I always sort of forget that 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 story that myth is so tied to Judaism because I've just like gone down the rabbit hole and uh, discovered it through astrology. Actually, like that was my sort of I had never heard of it prior. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. her name Lilith. So in Hebrew, Lilit. It's from the root uh, Lamed Yud Lamed, basically, which uh, relates to the word Lila which means night, right? She's like a night demoness, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, to me, it's a beautiful name, Lilith. It's like exotic sounding. And yeah, I, um, I, I love Lilith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so, there's so, I mean, there's so much ab- about it. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on Lilith. Um, but yes, yeah, I think, it, I think it's, I think it's I think it's fascinating. I think the piece there's so many aspects of it that interest me, but that specific piece about how Lilith and Adam were created from Earth sort of equally, like what is the difference between that and Eve, who is created from like Adam's you know ribs, Adam's chest? Um, mm-hmm. And it is it is fascinating how we've categorized like what does that look like? What is a sort of you know I always hate to use this phrase because it's you know implies crap but like this separate but equal mentality like what what is an equal woman look like feel like how does she express herself you know and I don't think we've I don't think we've necessarily figured that out yet at least not as that myth has been told and maybe not even necessarily in our culture um but that's fascinating yeah (laughs) we're 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 finally asking for the space and the time to kind of Right. Give, yeah. give women their their time and their voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. To express what they want to express. Yeah. And validated. Right. Um, so what are some of I, I, I know I keep sort of returning to this like tenets of Judaism thing, but um, I would love to hear like what are some things that you feel just personally passionate about in terms of the own traje- your own trajectory in life or just like what you'd like to see in the world and how you apply and do you, or what are the things that you apply as far as these sort of more traditional tenets of, of Judaism? Um, yeah. I, so, um, you know, Judaism has a lot to offer in terms of how to live a meaningful life. Right. Um, and, you know, like I was saying before, when you look at the Jewish calendar, it has built into it meaning, you know, for, for you to kind of tap into, Mm -hmm. right. Whether it's, um, you know, celebrating the holidays or, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it actually, because every holiday marks a certain time in the year and, uh, in terms of the seasons and, you know, agriculturally, and, um, you know, what's going on 
you know, in other parts of the world and the, the moon cycle and the, the sun cycle. Right. Um, and, and so there's a, we have in front of us laid out guidelines for how, for how to, you know, um, apply that into our lives. And, you know, certainly for me, I find meaning in, in the rhythms of the, the calendar of the Jewish calendar because, because it's a lunar calendar. Yeah. Um, right. So and, feminine. <laughs> so <yeah>. funny. <laughs> Women, we have this connection to the moon. And so it, it feels good to me to, to kind of go with that rhythm as a Jewish person, because, you know, we have Rosh Hashanah or the Jewish new year at the beginning of the year. And that, you know, surrounding that holiday isn't just rituals and customs, but it, but there are specific, uh, spiritual, um, reflections that, that a Jew is supposed to go through. And that kind of spurs the whole year. It kind Mm of, you know, it sparks a, a certain intention, a certain way of approaching oneself And then, you know, from that, you go through the year with different holidays, marking certain times and with with certain, uh, you know, practices that help us to connect to ourselves and and the earth and and each other. Um, So Judaism really does a beautiful way of of kind of outlining that for us. And that that's a a big part of what I take from it uh, positively. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it gives us a framework to be a good person mm-hmm. and to, to give to others, right? We're supposed to, as Jew, as Jewish people, we we're supposed to give to charities. We're supposed to help those in need, right? Give, give tzedakah is what we say, right? Charity, whether that's monetary or, um, you know, just helping, helping someone who needs help, whether they're sick or whether they're older or what, you know, whether they, they're financially unstable Anytime you can help someone else, Judaism says to do so, right? Love thy neighbor as yourself. That it says it, I mean, it says it in the Talmud, right? Yeah. In, in the Torah. I mean, there are so many guidelines and, and beautiful uh, sayings and um, teachings that are laid out for us to, to be good people. Yeah. Um, where, where would you, I, I, I guess, talking about your journey into the future, I'm curious where you see your own sort of trajectory going with all of this and what are some things you'd like to do or create or sort of oversee as it relates to Judaism and your specific practice? Yeah, well, I've I've been wanting for a long time to start uh, a meditation slash chanting group at the synagogue. So practically speaking, that's that's a goal of mine. Um, and I do incorporate, uh, you know, guided meditations in my classes and uh, rarely in services. But I really I would love to do more of that mm-hmm. in, in my work as a cantor. Um, you know, it's kind of a little challenging where I am because the synagogue that I'm working at used to be 
led by an Orthodox rabbi. And so not only am I their first female cantor, but I'm their first example of a, a woman on the beam uh, on the bima, basically um, showing leadership in that kind of way. Right. And so I have to kind of um, slowly, <laughs> slowly right? and and you know, so that people don't aren't so shocked. <laughs> but I but I think you know they're open to to more of what I have to offer. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And I also would love to uh, bring more uh, inclusivity and awareness uh, to our community specifically um, so that people from the LGBT community feel like they can walk into our doors. And we do have uh, members who are part of that community, yeah. um, myself included. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... That is definitely something I hope to, um, you know, riff on more in the future. And just, you know, yeah, uh, putting out there in the world that Judaism is cool and it's rad and it has so many amazing things to offer uh, for those who are seeking, um, you know, a spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, I mean, especially for me, I can see it being becoming a lot more of a prominent part of my life simply because in trying to reclaim some sort of connection to like who I am, who I am, where I came from, the land that I'm on, you know, it, it's a it's a challenging time because we've all been sort of so stripped of our our lineage and our homeland. And like, how do we figure that out? And, you know, to me, the the clearest thing to do is like, OK, well, like, you know, for example, I found someone who's in Taos who teaches like about Jewish folk herbal medicine. And it's like, I love plants and I want to learn about that. So that's the avenue, you know, like that's such a a meaningful way, I think, for young people, especially like Jewish young people. But regardless of what your culture is, to think about like, what are those connections that you can rekindle, even if you're in a different place and don't have a connection to your parents or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, any kind of life cycle event, like that's part of why the, your episode with the death doula spoke to me so much because in Judaism, we have people called the Hevra Kadisha who are a group of people specifically meant to watch over a dead body, not only to watch over it, but to wash it, to ritualistically cleanse it. You know, we have that. We also have the mourner's Kaddish, right? That mm -hmm. People who have lost someone recite for 11 months. Right. You know, we have these frameworks to bring meaning into our lives it, when we need it the most. Right. Right. And that's not, you know, Judaism just, it, it has it there for us. And, and it, yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good, like, now that I'm thinking of it, just in terms of the things that did stay with me and that I remember, you know, and like the mourner's Kaddish, I could still recite and certain prayers I could still recite. And um, it is interesting, too, and especially young people trying to involve ritual into their life more. And I feel like, mm -hmm. at least for me, Judaism is such a good example of how that works, you know, mm -hmm. how to integrate ritual into every part of your day and life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, religious observant Jews, before they even get out of bed, recite a blessing, thanking the divine God, whatever you want to call it, for restoring 
life within them before you even get out of bed. But it's, it's supposed to happen between, you know, upon waking and, you know, you're sort of kind of still sleeping, but you're still, you know, you're waking up. And so starting with gratitude is a Jewish concept, right? Yeah. And, so you know, you see so often nowadays that, you know, a gratitude practice, right? Do you have a, are you grateful in your life, right? Yeah. Judaism has had that practice for, you know, however many years now, right? And yeah. so these things that we're kind of rediscovering as spiritual practices, a lot of them exist in Judaism already. Right. And, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned earlier in a conversation about Judith and something related to Hanukkah. And so I wanted to know if you wanted to elaborate on that. Yeah. Well, so I kind of, because I know your podcast... <laughs> And I know the last question you asked your guests, I, I like kind of over-prepared in the sense that I have the book with me right here to share. Um, so you don't even have to ask or you can ask. And I can, <laughs> no, I'm all for it. Take yeah. it away. <laughs> yeah. As, as a character, I, I have that, um, you know, instinctual teaching bug and so, of course, I, I love to find opportunities to, to teach a little bit. So the Jewish Book of Days by Rabbi Jill Hammer is an incredible book. Um, and it kind of speaks to this idea of connecting Judaism with nature and the seasons and the lunar calendar. Um, and just quickly, I just want to read um, in the sleeve what 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 it says about the book. So using the tree as its central metaphor, the Jewish book of days is divided into eight chapters of approximately 45 days each. These sections represent the tree's stages of growth, seed, root, branch, sap, bud, leaf, flower, and fruit, and also echo the natural cadences of each season. And so, you know, Right away, if you if you find yourself wondering, oh, how can I connect to Judaism? If you like being in nature, right away, this book will speak to you, mm -hmm. right? And so every entry in this book is dedicated to a day in the Jewish calendar. Okay, so I'm going to flip to uh, the first of Tevet, which is uh, the next Jewish month coming up. And it starts on Wednesday. So I don't know if you're familiar with the moon cycle, you'll know that we're expecting a new moon on Wednesday. And so that means a new Jewish month. Um, and it's still going to be Hanukkah, right? And so I also have to say Rabbi Jill Hammer was one of my teachers and mentors and close friends. She's incredible. She's a, a modern day ritualist who uh, comes up with, you know, modern rituals for everyday uh, events and experiences. So I really um, appreciate that about her and respect her for her work. Oh. And um, so she uh, talks about uh, Judith, who uh, has a whole book dedicated to her. Uh, she's a, uh, you know, a biblical uh, character uh, in the Bible and um, Jewish history. 
And so each entry in this book, the Jewish Book of Days, uh, talks about, uh, you know, whether it's a legend, a Jewish legend or um, something related to a custom uh, for each day. And so we're moving into the new month of Tevet, the Jewish month of Tevet, and that starts on Wednesday with the new moon. And so her entry is entitled uh, Woman of Fire for the seventh day of Hanukkah and the new moon of Tevet. And so I'm just going to read it short. I'm just going to read it because it's, it's really interesting. And um, yeah. So the book of Judith tells that Holofernes, a general of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, uh, besieges Judith's city, Betulia. Okay, so the city elders want to surrender. Judith, a wise, beautiful, and pious woman, or widow, I should say, it says widow, promises to save the city. So she goes to the enemy camp and convinces Holofernes that she believes in his victory. Flattered, he plans to seduce her, but while he sleeps, she cuts off his head. Okay, so the enemy flees, the city is saved, and Judith leads a procession to the temple. Though Judith's story is not a Hanukkah story, many medieval menorahs bear Judith's image. Judith is a flaming branch, a symbol of the light chasing away the darkness of winter. When she returns from her brave deed, the people light candles to welcome her. We remember Judith's story at the season of inner fire. And then she continues, Jews of Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia celebrated the first of Tevet as the festival of the daughters, a time to honor Judith and all heroines. Mothers would give their daughters gifts on that day and pass inheritances to them. Old women and young women would come together to dance. Another tradition was for women to pray for the health of their daughters. The first of Tevet, the darkest night of winter, is a time to draw the generations together, letting the root of one generation grow into a new cluster of strong branches. Love it. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, and I just have to mention a few yeah. pages later, on the sixth of Tevet, she has an entry called The Coming of Lilith. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to read it, but um, yeah. <laughs> I just have to mention that because we were talking about Lilith. Yeah, so. I, I definitely have to get that book. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Thank you. Um, so if anyone wants to like get in contact with you or learn more about you, is there a mode through which you would prefer that or they could do that? Sure. So um, you can email me at cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R, at Beth Shalom. B-E-T-H-S-H-O-L-O-M congregation.org. Okay. Perfect. I hope you got all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can look me up on, on the synagogue website and um, I hope to have some recordings up there soon. I don't have any uh, there yet, but I'm working on some things. So that's exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Julie. I feel like this was so meaningful on multiple levels like the podcast level the personal level I'm really glad that you've come back into my life and I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes the new iteration of this connection so thank yeah, you me too. thank you so much Anya 
Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. Um, again, if you'd like to support the podcast, please go to iTunes, hit subscribe, scroll down past all the episodes, leave some stars and a review. Head to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz, where you can participate in private exclusive WhatsApp group chats for other listeners just like yourself. We have book club, workshops, t-shirts, stickers, playlists, the list goes on. If you would like to make sure to secure your spot in this lunar intensive cycle workshop that I'm going to be offering starting February 11th, send me an email, anyakotz at gmail.com, and we can talk about the details and I can save a space for you. Otherwise, make sure to follow me on Instagram at anya.kotz, where I will be announcing the details. I will probably be putting a landing page up on my website um, at some point, and I'll, I'll definitely announce that to all of you as well. But because I'm limiting it to 17 people, if you know that this sounds like something you want to do, definitely shoot me an email or a DM and you will be at the top of my list. Um, I'm going to play you out with uh, Barbara Streisand, because, I mean, how could I not? Singing uh, Vinu Malkinu. Um, it's funny, you know, in the conversation, as you heard, Shuli kept coming back to the music, and I'm sort of trying to hammer her on these, like, philosophical <laughs> tenets of Judaism. But really, when I think back on it, what really was so meaningful for me, I mean, as I did say in the podcast, but really even since we've had the conversation thinking more into this, like that is what I remember. I remember the music and I remember the food and I remember the sounds and I remember how the sounds made me feel. And I remember this in particular, listening to this song as a child and just being overwhelmed by sensation. I didn't know what that meant when I was that young, but I definitely, definitely felt it. And I don't think I've heard this song. I don't even think I remember this song existed. I was just trying to think of like, okay, what, what kind of like Jewish adjacent or Jewish music can I play on today's podcast? And uh, this came up on some playlist and I mean, listening to it now, it's just like, I cannot help but sob. It's so fucking beautiful and meaningful. And I don't know. I'm sure part of that is because I, you know, am descended from Jews. So these sounds resonate in my bones in a specific way. But really, I mean, anything ancient just fucking resonates differently. So please enjoy <laughs> the Barbara. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next time. Love you all. <laughs>